Hello, warriors, and welcome back to the arena. It's your host, Christabel, and this is the Surviving the Arena podcast, a show where I share with you the lessons I have learned along my journey of self-discovery. The goal of this podcast is to share my experiences in order to help you overcome the things that are holding you back and help you achieve the future that you've always been dreaming of. From living your purpose, to building confidence and fighting bad habits, together we'll develop the tools we need to survive the arena. Hello warriors and welcome back. You're not a victim for sharing your story. You are a survivor, setting the world on fire with your truth, and you never know who needs your light, your warmth, and raging courage. Alex L. Today, I have a very special guest joining me. She is an artist, creator, yogi, and new author. She has experienced a lifetime of hardship, but none of it has managed to dampen her beautiful spirit. At the age of 23, she was diagnosed with endometriosis, and then at age 26, she was diagnosed with liver disease. Both have naturally had a significant impact on her health. However, she is a woman of true resilience and has flourished along her healing journey. Founder of Healing with Hannah, a multifaceted business, she uses her experience to offer one-on-one and group feminine healing, tarot card reading, yoga classes, and so much more. She is truly living her dream as she works to help people become active participants in their own healing journeys. Welcome, Hannah Stinson, to the arena. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here and just so inspired by the work that you're doing and bringing on people like me who, you know, have the courage to share our stories because it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there, you know, in the arena, so to speak. It definitely does. And I think the more that we get used to sharing our stories and get comfortable sharing our stories, especially the more difficult ones, the more normalized this whole thing is going to be and the more empowered people are going to feel to share these stories. It's so true. I mean, so many of the things that we go through are considered taboo. And I just don't get that. Mm -hmm. Because as much as we're individuals, things are still collective. Um, Exactly. And and I think in a way, how selfish of us to think that someone else isn't going through something that we are too. Precisely. And like you said, so much is considered taboo. So many things we don't talk about. And then we end up going through life, kind of navigating things on our own when we really like you said, it's communal. We don't need to. There's so many things that other people in the world have experienced and continue to experience. So who are we to not share what we've learned to share our knowledge and our experience? Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we are chatting about Hannah's new book called Entering the Divine One Breath at a Time. And she released this on November 30th, so it is fresh and exciting, and she's still riding the high. (laughs) And the title, Hannah, the title is so beautiful and honestly very peace-inspiring, if I can invent a phrase right now, because I read it and all of a sudden my body just goes whoosh. It is very calmed down, and it's, it's amazing. Talking to you via Instagram voice notes has really shown me that you exude that peace and light even when you speak. When we finally got to chatting about your book, 
you revealed to me many themes, and we are going to get to those themes very soon. But first, can you please share with us just a bit about your journey? Talk to us about how you made this decision to fight the norm and share your story, and how you reached the point in which you decided not only to share the story, but to write it down, make it permanent and how you were inspired to create this beautiful title as well. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Just to hear you say that just reading the title brings you to a state of relaxation or calm gives me Mm -hmm. goosebumps um, because that's, you know, that's just the start. That's just the the beginning Mm -hmm. of the book. And um, my journey, wow. (laughs) In the 28 years that I've been on this beautiful planet, I've experienced a lifetime of trauma, much like most of us. Mm -hmm. When I started um, using, because I talk about in the book that this was a journey, um, you know, of healing through sobriety and spirituality, um, I started using alcohol at a very young age to cope with the trauma that I experienced, um, specifically sexual abuse. Uh, I was sexually abused when I was very young, and then again in my teens. And so it was triggered in my teens, the memories of what happened when I was two. And I didn't understand how to cope, right? And Mm -hmm. alcohol was the easiest thing that I could get my hands on. Um, And it numbed, it numbed the pain. I didn't have to think about it anymore. Um, You know, as well as having endometriosis, I started getting periods when I was 11. And, you know, I'm a very small person. So I would bleed for weeks at a time and, you know, be out of school because it was just doing so much damage to my body. And again, alcohol was easy to self-medicate with because of all the other medications I was on too. I was prescribed opiates when I was 16 um, to help with the pain. and, And that didn't help with my addiction, of course. What happened was it just became this like cycle of self-sabotage really, I I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. In my book, I talk about healing being a cycle and we go through yeah. seasons of healing, right? And so I was in my winter, my dark, um, really tumultuous place of healing for so long because I chose to stay there. I I was so passive with my healing journey. And part of that was obviously using and being numb and not understanding the, the calls of my body or listening to my body. Um, and it got to the point where I woke up on January 1st of 2019. And I'm pretty sure, sh- I, I, I believe it was my grandpa saying to me, what are you doing? You know, I had this, this voice in my head, what are you doing? I, I realized that it wasn't helping me anymore and didn't help that the night before on New Year's Eve, I did m- way too many things that I shouldn't have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for me, drinking led to using drugs. So I was just just putting so much poison in my body. I wasn't treating myself with any compassion, any love, because I didn't think I deserved it. But something in me told me that I needed to stop. And at the time, I was working as an addictions counselor. I had started working at as, a, as an addictions counselor. I literally fell into it. It was not something that I had ever thought I was going to do. Um, but I started teaching art 
at this addiction center because that's my back part of my background. And it just so happened that they were looking for support workers. So I applied because I needed another job at the time. And one thing led to another. And two years later, I was in a management position because I showed, I realized that that was where I was meant to be at the time. It was meant for me to realize that I still had a problem. I had worked really hard with my addiction and I thought I had got to a place where it was under control. And I laugh now because it's just like, what the heck was I thinking? But yeah, so then I had, I would realize like, what am I doing? I am helping these women heal and go through their sobriety journey. And I'm not even practicing what I'm preaching. From that moment on, I, I just like picked up my pants and was literally like, this is my job to heal myself. It's no one else's job. I didn't put a timeline on it. I just told myself I'm not going to drink anymore because clearly it wasn't working well for me. And also in regards to having endometriosis, drinking alcohol is one of the worst things you can do because alcohol triggers inflammation. So no wonder I was in, I, you know, when I would go to the doctor and they'd ask me my pain and I'd say like, you know, one to 10 and I'd say 15, you mm-hmm. know? So that was a big step. That was huge for me. And then two months later, I was diagnosed with liver disease. Much to my surprise, it was not because of my alcohol addiction. I seriously thought it was my first thing. I was like, is it because I used? No, it was because of a long-term exposure to estrogen. So oh, birth wow. control. I was put on wow. birth control when I was 15 to, to help with my endometriosis. And uh, when I was 19, we decided to stop my periods because I was ending up in the hospital. Like things were just not, they were not good. (laughs) Um, Having a period does, when you have your period and you have endometriosis, it just does a lot more damage. It causes, um, you know, it feeds the scar tissue basically. Um, And so they said, let's just stop your periods. And of course, again, at the time I was so passive that Mm -hmm. I just said, okay, let's stop my periods. You know best, you're the doctors. I'm not going to do any research. And so then as the years got on, kept going, I started noticing when I was drinking, my liver was in pain. And I would make jokes, you know, and I remember this one person telling me like, you need to go to the doctor. Like, that's not funny. And I was like, Oh, whatever. And the thing was, I had been going to the doctor for years and telling them this. And I was dismissed every time. I was dismissed because I already had a chronic condition. So let's just say, you know, most of the time, well, it's your endometriosis. You know, and I have a lot of GI issues and I have IBS and I'm celiac and there's all these other things. So they kept saying those mm-hmm. were the reasons. But when I got when I got sober and I finally started seeing this amazing gastroenterologist, he's the one who, you know, sent me get get this. He sent me for routine blood work. They hadn't done routine blood work on me in years. And I had had surgeries and they didn't even do my blood work oh. before the surgeries because I'm young and I look healthy. So this could have been caught years ago. And um, so they so they ended up finding that my, my liver was covered in all these masses. So I was being sent for, you know, emergency CT scans and MRIs. And I was living at the hospital for a, a couple months because they didn't know what was going on. Obviously, uh-huh. want to make sure it's not cancer. And I'm very blessed that, um, you know, these nine tumors are benign um, for now. So that's we're really monitoring it. But anyways, um, long story short, after that, I, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And 
I decided that this was the time to invest in myself and my health. And so I started seeing an acupuncturist and doing, you know, pelvic floor physio for my endometriosis and just branching out of the Western medical system. Along all of that with the physical side, there was this spiritual part of me that was growing back to who I was. I was born an old soul. I've I've always been so in touch with the divine from a very young age. Um, but I lost that when I was using because yeah. alcohol, as we know, is a suppressor. And and so not only was I learning to feel again, I had been on birth control for 12 years. I was learning who I was again as a as a woman because I I didn't know. Wow, there was a lot of things that I realized. Like I, I didn't like chocolate the whole time I was on birth control. I stopped and I fell in love mm-hmm. with chocolate. <laughs> like I was like, oh my God, I'm craving chocolate before my period. I'm a woman. Like You know, like I had all these, I wasn't experiencing all these things that other women were because I wasn't getting a period. And so that, you know, of course, getting my period again, it was really hard and I would miss weeks of work and it was not, it was not sustainable. So now we are almost two years into my liver disease journey and we still don't know what's going on. Um, You know, it's a chronic condition. I'll always have these tumors. Um, Mm -hmm. We're just trying to get them under control right now. And so I started speaking up about it because I realized that what the condition that I have with my liver disease is one in a million. And I know <laughs> I am I am quite the anomaly in the medical world. I, I seem to catch mm-hmm. everything. Um, that's why I'm in serious lockdown through COVID. But all of this allowed me to, to speak my truth because I just thought there's other women out there who are also being gaslighted, who also aren't being heard. And when I started to work with the women in the addiction center, I saw that even more because they were addicts. They weren't taken seriously. They were addicts, you know, if they'd been using meth, well, that's chalked up, you know, you don't have any trauma. You just have, you know, your your, um, your psychosis. And it's like, yeah. we can't, we can't blame or or place name on something we we really don't know. So I started hearing these women's stories and it inspired me to speak up my story, right? And so I started talking about the abuse I had been through when I was teaching family violence because that was one of the seminars I taught when I worked at the addiction center. And I it was near and dear to my heart because of the abuse that I've experienced. And that was the first time that I realized other people, everyone needs to hear this. <laughs> So I had started healing with Hannah as just an Instagram account um, when I was still working. It was like a side hustle. And Mm -hmm. I started – when I really got into everything, I started just – it was all tarot readings because I – and just – I started to see this collective trauma that we all were experiencing, whether it's the pandemic or not. But like everyone chooses some sort of negative coping mechanism when it comes to their trauma. I thought, you know, I've really chosen them all. So why not share that you can heal? Like, no matter what you've been through, you can you can heal and you can choose to do so. Because I saw these women, like when I worked at the addiction center, I was working with women who had lost their children multiple times, you know, had lived on the streets, who had been abducted and abused. And they still chose to try to get sober and try to live a better life. 
why wasn't I, you know, why, why aren't other, why aren't any of us? Because no matter what you've been through, we have the innate ability to heal. Your whole story is incredibly powerful, but I think at the core of it, it shows me so much how the norm is for us to know how to cover things up. The norm is not for us to look at the root of our problems and deal with those things. So I stopped drinking as well for very similar reasons to you in that I noticed what I was using alcohol for. And on the surface to other people, it'll look like, oh, yeah, she's just having fun and getting drunk. But I, I know what came to my mind and I know what I was trying to block out more than anybody else would. And like you, I realized, you know, I need to take back control of the situation and I can do better than this. And what I find so funny is that when you tell people, you know, you're quitting drinking or you're quitting doing drugs or something like that, there's so much resistance. Oh my God. So much. So much resistance. <laughs> to me, it's crazy because I was like, sorry, you just heard your friend wants to do something that will help them. They're taking poison out of their life. And you're shocked and not in a good way. You're shocked in the way of like, no, but we need to drink on this day and at the cottage and on New Year's. Like, wait, you're so you're not even going to have one. And I'm like, I'm doing a good thing here. I'm confused. I know. Like, why is there so much resistance? So I think that you sharing your story, just listening to you talk right now has been so powerful to me because you face so much more adversary, adversity sometimes I feel when you decide to take that step and become active in your healing journey, you face so much doubt and so much of people pushing against what it is that you want to share and what it is that you have to say. And I think it's because so many of us were taught to kind of say, okay, this is what happened to me. It's this person's fault. So it's their job to heal me. It's their job to apologize and make it better for me. But so many times in life, we're never going to get that. We never get the apology. We never get that person taking ownership. Yet we're still left with all of the scars and the after effects of what someone has done to us. So your story is so important because you're showing us that no matter what has happened to us, no matter what has been done to us, no matter what we have done, it is our job today to decide that we are going to heal, that we are going to become better and get more in tune with the best versions of ourselves instead of hang out in the past and in those darker days, in the winters of our lives, if you will. You've experienced so much. And with that, there's so much that people listening can relate to. And that just kind of shows the power of sharing your story, you know, that once you start, you'll start to build this community of people that are like, yeah, I relate to this aspect of your story or this aspect of your story. And slowly but surely you start to remove that stigma of you need to deal with these things by yourself, that you shouldn't, quote unquote, air your dirty laundry. When we have this communal ability to be able to work with each other and heal each other and share information and knowledge and education, like how you did with the women that you worked with and how they did for you, I think we have those opportunities. So why not use them instead of resisting when someone tells you these things? And I've had very similar experiences as you with doctors. From a very, very young age, I was taught to exaggerate everything that I was feeling. Every little thing, exaggerate it because they will not believe you. They will not take you seriously. Until you exaggerate and, you know, say that you're experiencing extreme levels of pain or something, they're really not going to take you seriously or send you to the right tests or anything like that. And 
at that point, then what do you do? Because like you said, your your diagnosis could have happened years ago and instead it happened more recently. So now you're trying to get back in touch with your body and understand how your body is working and how it needs to work. And all of this could have been done years earlier. Yeah. There's a lot I relate to in your story and it's amazing. Oh, I that make you know, it makes me it warms my heart, but it also makes me sad to hear that mm-hmm. it's just so common across the board. And I think every almost every woman I've ever talked to has been dismissed yeah. in some way. Um in the medical system, whether it's mental health, physical health, emotional health, right? It, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. And and when you find doctors who who really, really want to help you, you hold on. And 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 that's the thing. And I mean, I I'm really blessed right now. I have a wonderful team and um mm-hmm. they're they're working very hard for me and with me. I think that's the other really important part when you when you start to be an active participant in your own healing journey, just like you said, you get lots of backlash and you get it from the medical community as well. And so really learning to hold your own and know that this is your truth. No one else can take that from you. Um, and so like you said, you know, and just keep coming back or doing what you need to do or it's hard right now with COVID, but um, I always would suggest to people, do you have someone you trust to go with you to also hear what is being said? Because yes. I think things get lost in translation when you're alone because it's overwhelming. Then, and I think especially as women, there's a lot that our bodies go through, even just in routine yeah. medical situations. Like just some of the tests that we have to do. For me, those particular tests that I have to do, and I cry every time. They're very basic. They're very routine. But just the whole procedure is very traumatizing for me. So I cry every single time. And I remember... The first time in university I went for one of these tests, I was terrified. And I took my whole group of girls from my class with me. But it was so powerful to be able to walk out of that room in tears, but have every single one of those women understand everything I had just felt in that 15 minutes or however long it took. We need that group, even that one person, to be able to look at you and understand and not kind of diminish what you're feeling. So... This is what sharing your story does, you know, it just shows me it because now I know it's like, hey, you know, at least Hannah understands me. So <laughs> yes, it's, it's so true. Helpful. And I'm I'm so happy to hear that you had that support through those times and that you still hopefully do. Um, and you know, anyone listening, we're here to support whatever it is. I know mm-hmm. I am. Um Definitely. especially when it comes to feminine healing and um reproductive health. But um, I want to touch on what you said about what inspired my title. And um, I love oh, yeah. that you asked that because I haven't been asked that yet. And oh, nice. yeah, so you're here, here first on surviving the arena. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, it came to me in a meditation. I am very connected to my intuition. I'm very connected to spirit. I receive messages all the time. It's a little overwhelming some days. Um, but everything with my business and my book, has come to me through a meditation or a card reading or some type of spiritual practice. And that's maybe not the answer some people want to hear. Because, you know, I wish I could say like that it was this, you know, I I took so much time to to come up with this title and whatever. But no, it came to me in a meditation. And, and I, the reason I love it is because, <laughs> well, there's a tree on the cover of my book. And, yeah. you know, entering the divine one breath at a time, like trees are the reason we breathe. 
Um, mm-hmm. They give us the oxygen. And it, throughout my story, I talk about being this thousand year old oak tree. That's how I view myself mm-hmm. and my soul and whatnot. And, and it just felt that when you open this book, you are entering the divine because we are all a divine being. Um, we're not separate from the divine as much as we've been taught that we are. Um, I mean, and it depends, right? I'm, this is a whole other thing. You could go into dualism and non-dualism, but, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I do believe in, 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 um, you know, we are connected. And so I wasn't surprised when it came to me, but I will be honest with you. It came to me before I had any notion that I was going to write the book. So it came to me about a couple months before, and I just held on to it. I thought, this is beautiful. I don't know what I'm going to use it for. Um, It'll come to me for something. And then when I had the opportunity to start this journey, this book journey, right away, I said, I know the title. (laughs) This is where this was meant to go. So um, I think that's just a a beautiful example of how the universe works in mysterious ways, (laughs) Um, but also always in our favor. And I fully agree with you about we are all connected to the divine. However, people may want to agree or disagree with it. And anybody that knows me knows I'm very connected to my faith. And I trust very much that whether it be the voice in your head or just all of a sudden, you know, you kind of sometimes get a phrase stuck in your head, a song stuck in your head, something like that. There's a reason for that. It may seem so insignificant, but there's a reason for so many of that. And like you, I've had so many messages, including starting this podcast come from moments like that where I was just sitting quietly and I would see myself doing something that I wasn't currently doing, but I saw myself already well-practiced at it or something like that. And I decided, you know, all right, let's see what happens if we make this a reality. And so many moments in my life have been like that, where I've been shown the next step in the path. And all it takes is that you trust that you're being shown something for a reason. And for you, look how that turned out. Yeah, Your message was so clearly put out there in that title. Maybe that's why I felt so much at peace reading your title because I can feel that kind of connection that you have with it. It's just everything in those words, you understand what's about to happen in that book, what's about to be said or felt even. So it's very, very beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm just over here like nodding my head, hands in prayer. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's beautiful when we take the time to pause mm-hmm. and be with ourselves, because that's when the true magic happens. And so that's where I really, really like to remind people, slow down. One thing this beautiful woman um, told me when I was I was doing this online, um, it's called an awakening retreat. And I can tell you I woke up. Um, <laughs> but she, she said, when you feel like you need to do more, do less. And that resonated so much for me because I am a go, 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 busy, be body type of person. Honoring my yin has been such a journey. And I think that's a lot, a lot of us because we're just taught to be in our yang and go, 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 go. Um, and so allowing myself the opportunity to start practicing that because it is a practice that's where I started to understand more on how I could actually heal myself um, by, by myself, you know? Um, some of it has come from working with some amazing individuals, but I, I teach yoga because yoga's saved my life. I think that there's yoga for everybody, but um, 
sometimes we, I get, you know, I, people tell me, well, I'm not flexible, you know, well, I've never tried. It. And it's just like, well, just show up to your mat and, and then just breathe. <laughs> That's all you have to do. And then I love that because it's just like life, like just show up and breathe. And take it one, literally one breath at a time. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and then and know that you have the choice to be an active participant in your healing journey. Um, we we really get accustomed to being passive because that's that's the norm. But the beauty of the world we live in now is we have so many resources, and mm-hmm. maybe it can be overwhelming. <laughs> Of course, but but the beauty of that is you're never truly alone. Like there's always someone out there to help and assist and guide you. Right. And since you're since you just mentioned being active participants in our healing journeys, some of the themes that you cover in your book are forgiveness, self-compassion, and releasing the past. And the reason I love these particular themes is that they reveal the agency and power we all have within us to take control of our lives and of our healing, like you said. And I truly believe and have said before that it is important for all of us to realize that we are responsible for our healing and that it's up to us to find a way to heal the wounds of our past. And you discuss this in your book. But I'm wondering if you can offer some insights to our audience about how exactly they can start becoming active participants in their healing journeys. Mm, yeah, I think the first step is, is awareness, like anything. Um, being aware that something is out of alignment, something doesn't feel right. Um, and again, that sometimes doesn't come until you pause, um, until you give yourself a chance to understand what is really going on and then understand that your healing does come in cycles. So we're not always going to be feeling amazing and be on top of the game and be following, you know, our for me, I have a lot of dietary restrictions. So following following my eating regime and, and you know, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. And so again, that comes with awareness. And, and then understanding again, like you have this choice. And so what are ways that you can take these steps? And, and a lot of the times it's asking for help. We can't do it alone as much as we have been trained to be so individualistic, um, there, like I said already, like there are so many people out there who who can help you and who want to help you, and and so when we open ourselves up to ask and receive, the help comes flooding in, and the right type of help, the right type of people. But we have to recognize that we deserve that. Oh and yeah, that, that's a whole. It's another, a whole other thing whole because effect, so many yeah. of us believe we don't deserve that. So. Really becoming active participants in our own healing journeys is um, reframing that we are deserving of this. Mm -hmm. And I think also taking time to just get to know who we are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Um, Because you can't go, you know, get help, so to speak, if you don't know what you need help with. It sounds so simple, but there's there's so many times in my past where um, I did that, right? And I got nowhere. And then I'd be super angry and mad at that person and blame them. And then all of a sudden, you become very jaded towards that particular way of doing things. He's like, no, it didn't work for me way back when. Meanwhile, it was just because we didn't know what we had to say or what we needed Mm -hmm. help with. Like you said, if we don't know ourselves, we're not going to know which parts of us need the healing and what exactly it is we need help with. Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, I apologize. It's not a black or white answer. Um, but when it comes to healing, it never is. <laughs> of course not. And I think the the main part that you covered already was the awareness of the taking time to get quiet, 
and become aware of where it is that you need to heal. Another piece that we can even add to that is the accountability portion. Once you are aware, you need to be able to hold yourself accountable and say, okay, this is where I can see I need to heal. Now, am I actively working towards healing that or am I continuing to, you know, cover it up, push it back and avoid healing it or avoid doing the work? Because once you decide there's parts of you that need to heal, that work is not easy. Mm-hmm. By no means is that work easy. It's very painful. In some cases, it kind of feels like you're creating new wounds. But from what I've experienced, I found it's worth it. It's always worth it. It really is. And if anything, when we feel like we're creating new wounds, they're just wounds that are, were covered up by um, smaller ones, really. Like getting to that root, so to speak, that you talked about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's the beauty of it because you're no longer just trying to heal these branches that keep growing. We're, we're getting to the root of the problem, as they like to say. <laughs> And on that journey, at least for me, one thing I've learned is that you don't inspire people by always succeeding and being perfect at everything that you do. You inspire them by how you face the challenges that are put in front of you, how you overcome every obstacle that you meet along the way. And I believe just from experience and what I've seen on my healing journey and dealing with all of these old wounds and uncovering all those wounds, you undoubtedly are going to face countless challenges, but in every challenge is a hidden opportunity to learn and to grow. So undoubtedly, you faced a lot of challenges, whether it was writing your book or being on your self-healing journey. So I wonder if you can share with us what is one or as many as you want to share of some of the biggest challenges that you faced. And most importantly, what lessons did you pull from those challenges? Mm, I love this question. Um, Oh my goodness. It's hard to choose because I've had so many, but I would say um, one of the biggest would be relationships like with a Uh partner Um, because I was uh, sexually abused so young. I really, and I talk about this in my book, I really began to think that that's all I was used for, for a man. Um, that, you know, that that's just what it was, you know, we just, I, I'm just there to please the man. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. what else happens. So that was adopted into my relationships at a very young age. And, and part of the reason I think I was, you know, abused um, by my ex when I was a teen, because, you know, I just, I, I'm not like I was exuding that energy, um, mm-hmm. but I had no boundaries I didn't, I didn't respect myself. And so this carried on for years and years. Um, I, I really needed validation that I was um, accepted and loved through sex. And of course, having endometriosis, sex isn't always something that's been enjoyable. Um, again, drinking, you know, that alcohol and drugs came, came into use yeah. because I, I wouldn't feel it or I wouldn't remember. Um, and so I started really doing even more damage to that area of my body, right? Like my womb, my sacral plexus chakra. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know anything else. And I ended up, and I talk about it a bit in my book, I ended up in a relationship that was not, was, he was also an addict and I couldn't help him, you know, Um, and that broke my heart. And so when that relationship ended, I thought that I was going to be, I thought I was, I thought it was healed. I don't know. Sounds silly. Um, after being in such a tumultuous relationship, thinking you're healed. And then I just kept repeating the patterns 
it it wasn't until I got sober. And I mean, I actually, my partner who I'm with, um, we started dating right before I got sober. And I told him when I met him that I wasn't happy where things were with my choices of drinking, um, mm-hmm. where it would lead me. And he was so understanding. And I got to this place before I met him where even though I was still using, I understood that I was deserving of love. I I was starting to show myself more love, even though I was still using in regards to, um, you know, really getting into my yoga practice again and um, painting and putting on art exhibits. And there was all these other things going on that were fueling me. And so I just realized that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to waste my time with anyone who didn't respect me and who didn't um, understand my morals and values. And so I was, I'm, I am blessed to have found a partner who is so respectful, who is so understanding, who would literally, you know, take a bullet for me and in the most loving way possible. (laughs) Um, And that's because I started to love myself again. I I didn't even want to be loved, to be honest, for a long time. I just wanted validation. When I finally stopped seeking that validation from men and started putting that energy into creativity and the things I loved, I was blessed to end up in a relationship with with the best my best friend, you know? And so mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened if I didn't take the the steps in um you know, taking back my sensuality, my sexuality in a way, um, by recognizing again, awareness. (laughs) So that was a, that was probably one of my biggest, because I actually, I remember saying to my mom a couple months before I met my partner, um, and we didn't get together when we met, it was the whole thing, but, um, saying to her, I don't think I'm ever going to find someone who's as ambitious as me, who, um, you know, who wants these same things and blah, 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 blah. I was really, really um, doubtful. And I also said I would never be in a long distance relationship. Well, the universe again has a funny way of working because (laughs) I'm in a long distance relationship and um, he, he checked all the boxes, so to speak, even though I don't live that way. But, but yeah, so that would be the biggest. And then, I mean, of course, sobriety, um, getting sober on my own, quote unquote, was was really hard. I think being diagnosed with liver disease just was the cherry on the cake of not doing it. But that being said, I did relapse three times because that's just a part of getting sober. None of them were anything crazy, but but the third time, and I was celebrating. I remember thinking like, I'm celebrating. I put on this huge art exhibit. It had over 50 pieces of my work. Um, it was so incredible. And so I thought, you know, I deserve to just have a little, like, I think I had maybe like three drinks, not even. And Mm -hmm. it felt like my liver was being like, was a stress ball and someone was just squeezing it. And it was so painful. And then I ended up actually in the hospital after, um, because of the alcohol. I mean, it just, my body was just rejecting it. So those were, those were lessons for me because of course, when you're going, when you are, you know, sobriety and, and, and being sober is a never ending journey as well. Uh, still struggle sometimes, like if my parents are drinking and like my stepdad leaves a, a bottle out, like I, it bothers me, but I have to, to remind myself, I've come this far, like it's, I don't need to be triggered right now, I'm safe. Um, 
Yeah. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to go and drink it. Um, but there's still those thoughts. And so it's just about learning how to quiet them. And um, if anything, I just remind myself I'm safe and I've come so far. It's always a journey. It's never going to end. There's no end to this journey of healing. Because like you said, there's going to be moments that come up all over again. And you're going to have to remind yourself of every lesson that you've learned along the way. Remind yourself of how strong you are and how much you've already learned and overcome and that you're a different person than when you started. The whole time you were telling your story, particularly the relationship side, I was sitting here smiling because of how strongly I relate to every step of your particular journey. I was in a abusive relationship for three years. And that feeling that you talked about of once you're out of it, you felt healed. I understood it point for point. I know it makes absolutely no sense, but I understood it because you kind of feel like, A, you're free, but also B, you get this kind of feeling of I overcame that as if it's over. But because you come out of it, you already feel like I overcame that. So I'm much stronger for it. And then it takes us a little bit more time to recognize that there are still scars and wounds from those experiences that we are going to be working towards and healing. And it's when you get into that next relationship or that one that is so drastically different, the one that you finally see that you deserve, that you realize there's a lot of parts of you from the previous relationship that you need to work on. Similar to you, my partner is, for me, a a true blessing from God because He's so drastically different from anything that I've experienced before. And I think it scared me at first to be with him because you're used to one thing and you convince yourself you're deserving of one thing. You're deserving of disrespect and and abuse. And then you have somebody who does the complete opposite. And I know in the first year of our relationship, I was just constantly kind of like looking at him through the side of my eye and just wondering like, all right, so when are things going to change? When's it going to get bad? then there's one day you wake up and you go, no, you know what? I'm deserving of all of this love he's trying to give me. So it's time to receive it and not just doubt it every step of the way. So I loved all of that and related heavily to all of that. Thank you for, for sharing that as well. I mean, there's so many of us who, who are or have been in abusive relationships and we are we are just so accustomed to thinking we deserve that. And then like you said you meet someone and you're like, mm, "Are you real? This is yeah. we about this." Um and I'm so I I I agree like my partner is a um a gift from God as well. So, oh, oh I love this. I'm like getting a little emotional over here. <laughs> but you also mentioned the sacral chakra just now, which triggered my next thought and question, but it reminded me of the way that your book is organized. And this is very unique to me because I've never seen of a book organized this way, but you use the chakra system to guide your healing and actually tell your story. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, um, can you please explain a little bit what the chakra system is? And in particular, how you use the system to aid you in your healing process. Of course. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I started learning about chakras and energy body through um, yoga. And and I really got into it probably like seven years ago. Um, But when I got sober, I started to, um, again, working with energy. I was also, I'm 
really connected with indigenous culture because I worked with mainly indigenous women. And I started to see these like relations between the two. But but when really connecting back to my own spirituality um, and even my own lineage, um, my grandma's Hindu. And so coming back to these things where it's like I'm re- I'm, I'm connecting to my ancestors, really, um, so it was really mm-hmm. powerful for me. So for the chakras, I'll give you like a cold note. <laughs> Um, But our chakra, like this is, I love this. It's what um, Margarita Alcantara says. Um, Your chakra system is like your spiritual bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Our chakras um, are energetic bodies um, and they're connected to different parts of us physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, There's seven main chakras. And so those are the ones that I'll just mention now. So when we start at the base of our spine, we're starting with the root chakra. And the root chakra represents, um, you know, our core sense of being, survival, family, um, really like going back to like tribal connection, really. Um, so a lot of times, even right now with this collective pandemic, um, a lot of us, our root chakras are out of whack. Um, so, you know, in my book, you kind of understand, but even with the work that I do with the women I work with, um, currently, I really bring in the chakras into our healing um, and their healing journey, sorry, because there's so many ways that you can bring things back into harmony. (laughs) Um, And then we go up to our second chakra, sacral plexus, which is um, two inches below the belly button. And this is our center of creativity and sexuality. Um, Abundance lives here as well, money. And so, you know, um, when I talked about my sacral plexus chakra being um, way, way out of whack, it was partially because I was letting in all these other energies, right? And, you know, we don't, we're not talking all about chakras today, so I'm not going to go too into that. Um, and then, of course, our third chakra is our solar plexus, which is two inches above the navel. And that's all about self-esteem and your internal power. And then we go up to our heart chakra, the fourth chakra. It's in the center of our chest, and that represents love and compassion. Um, and then our fifth chakra is our throat chakra, which is our chakra of communication, and that's in the center of your throat there. And then our sixth chakra is our third eye chakra, which is related in the area of the penile gland, and that's our connection to our intuition. And then lastly, we have the crown chakra at the top of the head, which is our connection to our spirituality and the divine. And so I really, um, my healing journey was based off of this chakra system because I started to realize, you know, doing my own self-assessment on energy cleansing where I had seriously blocked chakras. (laughs) Because I am so connected to the divine, my spiritual chakras, which are your throat um, third eye and crown were really harmonized. But I had disassociated from my physical body for so long that my physical chakras, my root and my sacral in particular, were super blocked. Um, and so I realized I really needed to learn how to help myself feel safe in my body again, because I hadn't felt safe in my body for, um, at that point, 25 years. So it was a journey. <laughs> and the thing about oh, yeah. learning about energy body and chakra system is like it's we're constantly absorbing other energies, really understanding what's yours and what's not. Um, that was big for me being an empath, um, picking up on other people's energies all the time. So it helped me also establish like almost like this beautiful bound energy boundary around myself. So I don't pick those things up as much. Yeah, I think it's I know people are doubtful of a lot of these kinds of practices. And 
I was one of those who kind of heard about chakras and tarot readings and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, it's definitely not for me. But once you kind of decide to remain open-minded about every, let's call them tools or every kind of practice that you are introduced to, you realize that all of these things, there's a certain similarity to a lot of these practices and modes of healing. And it's because sometimes you need to hear a message in a few different ways for it to stick. You need to see the truth in a few different forms. And so for me, through prayer, through just real life practical experience, I've seen the same messages over and over again, just in different forms. And for me, that was kind of like, okay, we're not going to tell you one more time. You've heard it four or five times now. This is what you need to work on. So like I've said before, remain open-minded because you never know what new tools and skills can actually help you on your journey. And one thing for me that the chakra cleansing revealed was self-compassion, something I needed to learn and work on. And I know that that is a very important theme in your book. And overall, a skill I believe it's important for every single person on this planet to learn. Because the way that we treat ourselves and speak to ourselves ultimately determines our reality. Thus, we need to be very mindful of our words and actions as they are directed towards ourselves. So it's truly a profound theme in your book. And I want to know why was it important for you on your journey for your book to focus on self-compassion? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Self-compassion, something that I, I think we're all working on. Again, it's a practice. Um, mm-hmm. It. I didn't even really realize that theme came out until I went back and reread because I was like, I realized how much self-compassion I was showing myself by writing the book. It was, you know, and I've said this to many people, writing a book is so cathartic. Um, It's it's for you. It should be for you. It should be at the end of the day, it should be for no one but you Um, because that's authentic. That's real. And when I when I started, (laughs) this is what I like to say, I like to think of my um, my self-compassion as like a a warm, fuzzy blanket. (laughs) I like to wrap myself in my self-compassion blanket. and give myself self-compassion boundaries mm-hmm. where, like I said earlier, when I, that comment of when you feel like you need to do more, do less, mm-hmm. that in it, itself is really hard for people, right? So oh, yeah. how can you give yourself compassion around that, right? It's the permission to just let yourself be. And, and the more we practice that, the more we can show ourselves self-compassion in every other area of our lives, and, and and also like the other thing that I like to, to bring up when it comes to self-compassion is um, our relationship with our inner critic or your shame voice or your ego. I say inner critic. And my inner critic and all of our inner critics, it, its job is to just keep us safe. And so when we can wrap our inner critic within a blanket of self-compassion and let it know like, hey, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm good here. Um, I'm working on this. I'm, I'm, I'm getting through this. I, it's possible for me. You know, because your inner critic wants you to to stay safe and usually staying safe is meaning staying where you are, where you're comfortable because Mm -hmm. healing is uncomfortable. (laughs) So we need to be so compassionate with ourselves on this journey if we want to see the results that we're quote unquote aiming for. Because if we can continuously talk down to ourselves, practice negative self-talk, you know, are so hard on ourselves, we're not going to get the results that we want or we desire. You know, 
um, why are we so hard on ourselves? You know, if you came to me, Christabel, and you were like, Hannah, I'm really struggling with this, I would, you know, be a shoulder to cry and I'd offer advice, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to us, it's like, oh, no, like I suck so much and I should have done this and this person doing this. And it's like, no, just stop and breathe and look around you and take in everything that you already have. Um, That's showing yourself love too, because that's practicing gratitude. Everything you said is so true. And I, the way that we speak to other people, we speak with so much kindness and patience and compassion. And yeah, when someone comes to, to us with a problem, we, we don't put them down. We don't judge them. We don't, you know, uh, let's say for the majority, I've never met anybody that does that. So you, we don't have that instinct to be like, oh, someone's upset. Let me just make them feel even worse. Let me kick them while they're down. But we do that for ourselves so easily. We're struggling and then we're just kind of like, oh, you're whining. Let's, you can do better. Keep pushing. Keep doing that. We need a break. And we're like, nope, keep working. You can do this. We're we're not kind with ourselves. And what you call your inner critic, I say is the old me, <laughs> the the old me that needed the me I am today. So that blanket of self-compassion, I love that imagery because I think it'll make it easier for me to keep the old me quiet because <laughs> Sometimes I just picture it as like the me today, just kind of yelling at that one. But uh, I like the blanket of self-compassion. That is beautiful. It's so important for anything and everything that we do. We need to be our own cheerleaders, our own biggest cheerleaders, our own number one fans. The voice in our head should be encouraging us to keep trying new things and to just kind of have the confidence to, to keep going. And we should be able to trust ourselves to lift ourselves up, not the other way around. So true. It's so true. Lift ourselves up. We deserve it, right? Like, and I think yes, we deserve (laughs) it. Yes, (laughs) yes. And and when you get knocked down, like, just get back up. Even if it takes you a minute, even if you're wobbling, even if you know you need to grab onto a chair to hoist yourself up, get back up because it gets easier every time. Um, because you you learn every time. Exactly. Every time you fall, you figure it out a way that you need to avoid something so you don't fall again. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love that. And overall, you've given our listeners some seriously significant insight into your story. And you've given us a lot to think and act on most importantly. So is there one last piece of advice, one last tidbit of information or takeaway that you would like to leave us with? Oh, yes. I mean, I already said this, but this is big because I didn't do this for so long, but asking for help. Mm-hmm. And and when yeah. you ask for that help, be ready to receive it. Be open. Everyone out there in your life loves you so much and wants to help you. But we think we can do it all on our own and we can't. And the more you put pressure on yourself to do everything on your own, the harder it's going to be. We need we we just need that encouragement and that assistance and that guidance and that 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 could be through your faith asking for help. I call upon my spirit guides every single morning before my feet touch the ground. It could be asking your best friend if they can get your groceries because you're swamped with work and they're already going out to get groceries. There's so many ways that we can ask for help and be ready to receive and so yeah, so whatever it is, and, and you know, right, we always know that first thought that comes to your mind, never, ever second guess it. It's always the true message. So when if you have a moment to go and be with yourself and just sit and maybe put on like, I don't know, some nice meditation music or 
you know, the sound of rain or something that gets you so mm-hmm. calm. Um, and and go into your heart space, you know, your your space of compassion, of love, and ask your heart, where do I need help in my life? And you will get an answer. And you have to trust that answer and just go with it. So true. And and just know that if you don't, it will repeat and it will come up and it will come up in a in a more um in your face type of way. Oh yeah. <laughs> it starts out gentle and then <laughs> it's so true. Oh my goodness. Thank you so, so much for joining me in the arena today, Hannah. I am truly honored to have had you join me today. And I know right now everybody's wondering how to get their hands on your book and overall, where can we keep in touch with you? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could say thank you a thousand more times because this has been such a beautiful um, you know, time to record with you and talk with you and share with your listeners. Uh, but you can get my book on Amazon, uh, you know, amazon.com, amazon.ca, you name it, it's there. Uh you know, type in my title, Entering the Divine, One Breath at a Time. It'll pop up. It actually pops up beside one of Eckhart Tolle's books. And I'm like, Woo, okay. And so and so you can find my book there. And then in regards to getting um, a hold of me, you can head to my website. It's healingwithhannah.ca. No spaces, just healingwithhannah.ca. I have all of my information there. Um, but of course you can find me on Instagram as well. I'm usually there hanging out, sharing tips and, um, you know, more about my book and my programs. And my handle is at healing dot with dot Hannah. Um, and yeah, and you can find my email and stuff on my website. So feel free if you resonated with anything I said and you want to chat, like my DMs are always open. I love community. I love all of this. So I'm here and I can't wait to hear all of your thoughts about my book. And I will make sure to share all of Hannah's contact information and the details about the book, all of the links in the episode description, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. So thank you again, Hannah, for joining me today. And to all of you warriors listening out there, thank you for joining us. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode and that you have an amazing day. Thank you for tuning in to episode five. It was truly a pleasure to have Hannah joining me in the arena today. And I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Make sure to tune in next Friday for episode six, where I will be talking with you about parents being human. Don't forget to follow and share the podcast on Instagram at Surviving the Arena and Twitter at Survive the Arena. I am also on Facebook, so make sure to follow and recommend the podcast Facebook page, which you can find by searching Surviving the Arena podcast in the Facebook search bar. If you are on Good Pods, you can find me there as well. If you are enjoying Surviving the Arena, please share it with your friends and leave me a rating and some feedback. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time.